Hey, 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 it's me, Katie here. Grab a notebook, add a cuppa, and join me in the sociology staff room. Hello and welcome to the Sociology Staff Room. I'm really excited. We've got a guest today, Azraya Harvey, who's going to talk to us about ethnicity, race, anti-racism uh, and the sort of whole discussion around that. And I'm sure that more questions will come as, as we start talking. So first of all, thank you for coming on the podcast today. No problem at all. It's a pleasure speaking with you. Oh, as always, as always. So I would like to first ask you if you don't mind telling us a little bit about yourself that'd be great um of course yeah so my name is Azraya Harvey and I am a qualified primary school teacher um I work predominantly with like special needs so social emotional mental health needs um and I also work in um, equity and anti-racism and so at present I am currently working as an anti-racist consultant and trainer with a company and we go into schools um, primary schools, secondary schools, sixth forms, um, and we work with the staff and the pupils around improving their racial literacy. Excellent. Yeah, and that's really what we're here to, sort of, to talk about, um, is that sort of education around racial literacy. Um, I suppose that first of all, and I suppose it's a question that I feel like I think I know the answer to, but it's just actually as you said it, I thought actually that's just a question that's popped into my head. Why I feel like maybe it's loaded, but I was just asking here. Why do you think there is a need for this? Because ultimately, um, you'd think that in the society we live in, when there is so much information out there, um, social media, traditional media, etc., why do you still feel there's still a need for this education around this? Because as a sociology teacher, we hear about the postmodernist argument, and you know, there's sort of this definitely these meta-narratives around class, gender and ethnicity. Why is there still need for us to be educated around it, particularly professionals potentially? Um, I think, so I was actually thinking about this last night, so I'll say probably like three things that I think. I think one, when you do this work and you go to schools, you realise that there is a pattern and there's like, it's, it's like a variation on a theme, but ultimately it's the same problems to every school you go to to a different degree um some might have more problems than others but I feel like there's an um there's like a, a group of issues regarding racism that you can pick from and whatever school you go to you will always see it all of the problems are always picked for the same bag so it's obvious that this isn't kind of like this isn't an issue that's rooted in one specific area or one specific demographic, because whether the school is predominantly white or whether the school has is multi-faith, has loads of different ethnic groups, unless the school is aware and actively working to and promote an anti-racist culture, you will have particularly pupils dealing with racism. Um, and so I think it's obvious that this is a societal issue and not an issue with schools. And if it's societal, that means it's going to be generational. It means it's going to be it's going to be between different demographics, different race, ethnicities. Um, and I think that speaks to the nature, which takes me on to my second point, the nature of racism that is like pervasive. It's in it's it's in it's in everything, everywhere, all the time. And depending on the day is going to be dependent on how you experience it. But I think people consider racism an issue for minority groups um but we all are impacted by racism 
differently. Some people are able to benefit off of it in ways. Um, it, for even for me, example, I'm a fairer skinned black woman. So in some situations, I I will I will face a dis I will be disadvantaged because of it. But in other situations, because I am fairer skin, I will have an advantage. And so we all have to deal with racism. We all have to navigate and are impacted by racism. So I don't think it's a minority or ethnic minority issue. It is like a human issue. Um, and so again, it, it, it affects everybody. And I think a school is filled with people from all walks of life. So it's going to be there. Um, and I, I can't remember my third, but I forgot what I was going to say for my third point now. Um, but yeah, th those are the those are the two main ones I can think of. If I think if I remember the third one, <laughs> I'll bring it up. Um, and I think yeah, and I think it's a safeguarding concern as well. So it's not just a case of oh, we want to have a nice culture and we want school to like be fluffy and pleasant. Like it's actually a safeguarding issue. Um, we know we've seen young children in primary school, children as long as like ten, being bullied and children literally dying and everyone around them who knew them knows that there's a racial element to it, knows that their race was a significant factor in that experience. But because schools and just generally society often don't like to talk about race and don't like to acknowledge racism as an issue, it never gets considered and a lot of people never get justice. So, so yeah, it's not just important from a sort of literacy point of view, as we've talked about at the beginning, it's also the impact that it potentially can have on, on young people in regards to safeguarding. Yeah. yeah. Um, Obviously, you mentioned the word anti-racism, uh, and we talk a lot about uh, race, racism, nationality, ethnicity, and sociology. Not so much the word anti-racism. I was thinking about this, reflecting on that. I think when I first sort of met you, I thought to myself, I don't think I've ever used the word anti-racism. Um, so how do we understand the word anti-racism? So I think the best way I can describe anti-racism is that it's active and intentional. So not being racist is just passive. Like you don't engage and you refrain and you know things are wrong and you don't do this and you don't say that. But anti-racism is no, actually, I'm going to hear this and I'm not going to hear an appropriate joke and just not laugh. I'm going to hear an inappropriate joke and let the person know, actually, that's not OK. And this is why or going into a school and being a part of a staff body and being in the staff room and hearing teachers use certain, consistently use certain words about certain children or consistently see certain staff treat certain children a particular way and you can see a clear pattern and you believe that it's a racial pattern. And instead of just, you know, making sure that you don't, you're not horrible to those same children, you advocate for them and you stand up for them and you point out where, you know, the staff might be doing something wrong. And so anti-racism is literally just that, is, is just, active and if you're not being active then you're complicit and you're not really helping at all so um mm. yeah that's 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 really it anti-racism is just like an active intentional very purposeful um way of of dealing with and looking at racism mm. and i think what's, what was interesting as well is i think it's recognizing as well our own potential racism, which can be potentially yes. quite difficult for us to have. And I think that was quite enlightening as well. Um, I can talk about sort of my own personal example for myself. And I know I don't want to reference yours because that's for you to share. But as as some people may know, I'm mixed ethnicity. And I was I sort of wanted to be when I was younger, you know, just the same as every other student. I wanted to have the same sandwiches as every other student. Mm. I didn't want my mum's packed lunches. Um, and I, again, it's recognising well, what was the belief behind that, you know, even though I was very young. And I think sometimes, we, we, like you said, it, you think about minority groups, um, 
and it's sort of it's only for that group of people but not the group themselves doing it to themselves like i'm not i can only be representative of myself but I, you know at that moment i was fulfilling racism on myself um mm. um so it's it's at that and also i think we were talking about when we met was things that are not uh as very subconscious so it's looking at things that potentially are quite difficult to look at things like who are getting detentions more who are getting rewarded more um and i know this is something we look at in sociology um and so i suppose that's where i sort of want to move it forward to is talking us about sociology teachers um i suppose as social as a sociology teacher i think and i believe that i work in an anti-racist way um however why might that what, however, I suppose my question is, how can we ensure that as a teacher, we are, I suppose, being fair to students in the curriculum, using it anti in an anti-racist way? Because I think, I think there's an assumption that as sociology teachers, therefore, we know what we're doing. No. Mm. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to think, that's what I was trying to word it, is that we're sort of like, it's a given that because we talk about race, ethnicity, um, in a lot of our lessons, that it's a given that we understand that. Um, I suppose what would be the recommendations or anything you could suggest that we could do to work on that further to develop our literacy around that? So I think, I can't remember like the technical word for it, but it's basically when, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's what you would call a blind spot. And it's yeah. when, because maybe you're from a particular ethnic group, maybe you have a relationship from someone with a particular ethnic group, maybe your children are mixed. Um, or even even because you know that you're a sociology teacher and you work in anti-racism etc you have blind spots and it's kind of like you overestimate your ability to be unbiased um and so i think as long as you're aware that you have a blind spot you can continue to interrogate but if you don't recognize that you have a blind spot you stop interrogating your own behavior and it becomes harder for you to recognize like when you are actually contributing to a system you're like vehemently against um because we all suffer with bias by virtues of being human being like none of us can escape it so i think it's just important to bear that in mind and you need just as much as awareness as someone who's learning as someone who's still you know really understanding how racism functions and words and language etc we still need to have that same level of um like awareness and consistently interrogate our own behavior i think what the difference would be is that it would be easy easier for us to in well it should be easier for us to interrogate our own behavior because we kind of have an awareness of how bias works and we recognize how bias impacts other people etc and we can kind of look for the signs we know what it looks like when it's manifesting and so just really bearing that in mind as you go through your practice whether it's your lesson planning because it can be to the point where you lean the other way you start overcompensating right because you're very aware of like the disadvantages and the bias certain demographics or certain pupils may face and so you don't then want to lean to the other side and overcompensate because then that also can make everybody uncomfortable the children recognize like oh you know miss like like I'm okay like I'm, I I understand but like I'm fine we don't want to start imagining more like oppression or we don't want to start imagining more unfair treatment etc more than there is so we need to be careful about that um and I think it's important to in terms of ha having to do that even if it's just one other individual for that check and balance because sometimes as well if you are very aware if you are you know an anti-racist teacher and you work in a social science like sociology or psychology 
and you are in a school environment which doesn't really nurture that and doesn't really value that in you and you are aware of issues and you bring things up and you kind of get you know swatted away and you get told like there's nothing really wrong and it's, it's all rationalized and explained away it can be really difficult to to maintain the morale that allows you to you know, look at your curriculum and look at your lesson planning and really think about how can I make this inclusive and how can I make sure there's like representation if you're doing those things and they go completely unnoticed and not even in terms of necessary reward, but someone acknowledging how important and how significant the work is that you're doing and wanting to wanting to use that example and, you know, make it a school-wide thing, those kind of things that kind of um, remind you that what you're doing is important and necessary. If you lack those reminders, from your superiors or from your peers at work it can be really hard to maintain the morale so I always encourage people if you can just find just one other person who you can talk to who you can vent to who can support you who you can bounce ideas off of um, that's really helpful in kind of like maintaining that awareness and maintaining that kind of like anti that active anti-racist work um, and also looking for is don't be afraid to look for places and, and move and do find places that are going to value the work that you do where you can make a difference where you're not going to be you don't feel like you're fighting a losing battle I think it's really important as teachers I like I still think about my old pupils and I left um when did I leave I left a, I left a year and a half ago now I left my school and sometimes I want to go back and see them and I think as well you can't do that they are they're not your kids leave them alone they're gonna teachers come and go all the time but I still think about them so it can be hard but I feel like if you're in an environment where you where it's not conducive to not even just you professionally but even personally because anti-racism isn't just about our job if you're anti-racist you're anti-racist everywhere all the time right it's a part of your it's a part of your lifestyle um and so do consider looking for places and being in spaces where you are valued and it's recognized and people are fighting the same fight as you as yeah, it's, it's, I think you sort of. I think there's one key po point that you pulled. Well, lots of key points there, but one that you sort of said is is that interrogation, um, and as well as also having someone that can bounce your ideas off. And I think it's that part of that reflective practice. We've got lots of listeners and people in our sort of Facebook group that are either new to teaching or or people that are experienced teaching. And I think it's that constant interrogation, and I think as the nature of sociology as a subject it is always changing it is always negotiating what it means um as a subject and it's it's currency in in modern day uh, i sort of want to make a sort of segue into the curriculum and i know that obviously you've also got a background in sociology as well hence the reason why i thought oh this is you know also good to have these conversations not only from sort of your consultancy role but also as a fellow sociologist by the nature and i suppose my question is how on earth do we teach stuff in social, I don't want to say how it is, that we, we which seems to go against the anti-racist curriculum, because there's stuff in the sociology curriculum. I know some of it is outdated, stuff around sort of cultural deprivation sort of theory, mm. um, but then we've got stuff that's more recent, which I know we've spoken about before, with sort of research from um, various sociologists including um tony swell who talks about and obviously we've, you know he's not here to comment or anything like that but we've got you know stuff that's out there that's saying like oh you know institutional racism doesn't exist um you've got some really i suppose it's real sort of topical hard debates in sociology which are, are difficult you know they're difficult to teach and also on top of that 
you've got it's not even like out it's not even outdated stuff so you can't even say well there's a historical context to this this is stuff that's mm. been you know how do we present that also in a non-biased way you know because obviously the point of sociology is to present a whole range although other listeners and other contributors have suggested it isn't that um but you know we're supposed to present a range of views but ultimately some of them perpetuate historical beliefs that are maybe don't go along with the the anti-racist curriculum i'm sort of throwing it over to you i'm sort of pondering but lovely yeah talk from that. um so i think that is interesting because my essay right now it's not about it's not about sociology but it's about the citizenship education curriculum which is by nature sociological you know as well as like political and all of those things um and i think that sometimes like as teachers, we feel like we have to have the answers and then impart the knowledge. And so if there's a piece of knowledge that we don't actually agree with, then we think, oh my gosh, how do we teach this? Because I don't believe that this is tr true or I don't believe that this is um, this is safe. You know, I don't believe that this is, this is morally, you know, right, et cetera. Like, how do you teach something like that? And I think in terms of, it's, it's, it's what, um, it's what um, Jerome, calls a deliberative classroom and so it's about using certain things more as kind of like stimulus and so you will propose something to pupils and of course there's a curriculum and there's exams and there's things that they have to learn but there's also a way to do it where it's like we need to know this information but equally we can look at whether it's problematic if we come to the consensus that is problematic why how did we get there and just start kind of exercising using it as almost like a critical thinking exercise um and you'd be surprised at how how much they can recognize that for example if we look at something like freedom of speech right you have the argument that you know freedom of speech anyone should be able to say whatever they like you know and if people get offended then that's just a essentially like a a, a, a trade-off or having the privilege of being able to have freedom of speech but then you you hear you I was reading in a transcript and you hear the people talk about it and you hear them come to a consensus of how to what degree is this okay where does it cross the line where are we tipping into where it's problematic where it's dangerous etc and they don't necessarily all have the exact same opinion but they're able to deliberate about it and come to a consensus and understand the concept and the theory of something but also find a consensus that suits everybody that was in the conversation at that time but then you it's but then it's making them realize that these conversations are continuous they don't because context and circumstances will change. So maybe there may be half of the pupils in the room who maybe do agree with this problematic, the problematic nature. By the end of the year, you come back to this conversation, you're maybe doing a recap, revising for an exam, and you throw out the conversation again. And in those six months, they're now deliberating again, now talking again, and you can see where the growth and the change has happened. And it's happened in that deliberative space, allowing them to be, allowing them to think, allowing them to interrogate their own opinions and I think it's hard because that requires time and of course you have to get through the syllabus you have to get through the lessons you have to get through you know what is going to be on the exams and that is what I think is most difficult and then sometimes it's just about setting the tone and letting them know your expectations and saying like this is what I would like to do most of the time as your teacher but I'm aware that we have you know constraints and we need to focus on the exam period 
and maybe of course optionally giving them that extracurricular time so like sociology club for example <laughs> it's probably not i know it's probably not a thing oh, but... I, have, I have a sociology society oh that's amazing that yeah is, i didn't have anything that like that at school yeah. yeah i didn't have anything like that at school and so it's about of course using that extracurricular extracurricular time as well but i feel like it is really difficult because there's so many times in schools where you for example across whether it's english history like sociology there's so many sub geography there's so many subjects that it applies to um and i think as well teachers need to use what they have don't try and reinvent the wheel like you don't stress yourself out under things you can't control for example like the exam period coming up you can't change the date of exams you have a you have a finite amount of time between the beginning of the year and exams you're not going to be able to do everything that you want to do that doesn't mean you're a bad teacher it doesn't mean that you're not all good. like none of those things it's it sucks that we have these limitations um and so again working with someone i think is really good because then you can say to each other right let's stick realistic practical go goals what topics do we have this year coming up what opportunities do we have where are we finding this an issue and how can we use it in a way um where it's not harmful and it's kind of exercising those critical thinking muscles and we're kind of interrog again interrogating and acknowledging where this is problematic and talking about that side of things um i think that that is the most important thing just finding meaningful moments and over the years over the years they'll accumulate but it's, it's hard it is difficult it's really hard it's part of the reason why I love teaching <laughs> I can't do this anymore <laughs> I hear you I, know, I mean I I hear what you're saying I think I, I was just nodding like all the way through that um in the sense that there's so much in there that you sort of mentioned that was so valuable I think those I think you said the words was like moments moments those sort of moments and sort of that integrity and in getting students to uh reflect I think there's also not only that, it's realising that it won't all be wrapped up in one lesson. I think people that may be yes. new to sociology or people who have come from different subjects, maybe, although their subjects, if it was humanities, would have would have done that. But like, like you said, it's that revisiting in that. And sometimes you can't be planned for that. I've noticed that, like, you sort of like a, I don't know, like you, you sort of sprinkle the idea and then you come back to it and the sort of the students are considering it reflecting on it and i think you say those critical thinking skills are, are nurtured and developed throughout the year and so they might have one view at one point and then by the later point of the year like you said six months later that that view might be very different but i suppose it's exposing those sort of views to students so they can digest that and i think you use the word about safety you know i, I know that people talk about in pedagogy psychological safety but i think it's really making those like you said those expectations really clear to those students about what that means. Um, so there, there was lots in that and I, I, yeah, I totally agree with that. The other thing I wanted to talk about was um, sort of the concept of race, ethnicity and national identity. Um, I, I, I suppose, I, I don't know if I am surprised, I suppose it goes back to my original question when I said to you, you know, why is it still needed? There are still lots of, of students that come into sociology again i suppose because of why i'm shocked more so nowadays just because of the fact that in the past there wasn't social media um that still are confusing the words race ethnicity religion uh, and national identity um and obviously in sociology it's really important we know what those mean in order to understand the data that's presented in front of us and understand the debate uh, and understand race in terms of racism because we understand that race is a social construction, 
but then racism exists so race exists you can't deny that race exists for the moment we know that that you know that does exist because there wouldn't be racism although we know that it was constructed as a form of social control mm. my point is how do we communicate to our students that effectively what would be your sort of recommendation working as a, as a consultant because i find for some of those students it's, it is the first time they've heard it so they're sort of open we've also got students have quite fixed views misconceptions i suppose from social media around what that means um in some ways i know we've had a, a lecture on before and they've said that actually social media although it's great and we're getting these debates and discussions are actually taking students on a different tangent what they think mm -hmm. that might mean um so yeah so how do we unpick that for our students um, lots of teachers will be teaching this in year 12 probably right now the beginning of the year 12 course um how would you suggest that we do that it's a big sort of big question there <laughs> yeah so the social media thing is interesting because of course the pupils are coming into this lesson especially in year 12 with so many already like ideas and conceptions about race, what it means, how you use it to kind of like judge other people again, consciously or subconsciously, they are gonna come in by the time they're in year 12, they're gonna come in with like a lot of stuff, particularly because the past however many years now, they've been forming their own identity. Before it was like, you know, before you, before, before when you're young, you, you don't see yourself as an individual. You see yourself as like your mom's child or someone like you don't see yourself, you know, as wholly as separate from your parents, for example. And then you get to a certain age and you start getting to 11, 12, 13, like pu puberty is happening now, your body's changing. So those periods before they come in and to discuss something like that's in year 12 makes you guys have like a whole load of extra stuff to deal with. Um, even, even when we talk about things like young black girls, for example, they've probably started doing their own hair now. Before their parents would do it probably in protective style. So they'd put it in a style, it would be in that style for a week. Parents would take it out, wash it, blow dry, put it right back in. So now they're navigating dealing with their hair maybe, you know, and they're figuring out their hair and they're figuring out what their hair means to other people and how they're perceived because of their hair. And so they're coming in with all of this stuff that has nothing to do with you, nothing to do with your lesson, but is going to impact it um, massively. So I think bearing that just bearing that alone in mind, thinking about actually we have a massive task and a massive undertaking on our hands. We're not gonna be able to reach everybody. Um, there's gonna be some pupils who already have, they're gonna they're gonna have different levels of understanding. We're not all starting at the same, we're not all starting at the same place, which again makes discussions very difficult to have if, if you know, the, if, if, if the position that we're starting from is not the same we've got to figure out what that what how do we make that an equal playing field for everybody um i think openness from the very beginning is very important you know addressing the fact that some people may find this uncomfortable some people may have the urge to make it not uncomfortable by laughing making silly comments there's going to be some people in here who maybe do have ideas um that aren't rooted in you know a firm understanding that's fine we're going to get past it and i think creating that openness because having discussions about race can be very difficult is very difficult and is very uncomfortable um for different people in different ways um people have come to those conversations with different anxieties you have pupils who are worried that someone is going to say something silly and it's going to upset them get them angry don't know how they're going to react you're going to have pupils who are aware that they don't know very much and they're going to be worried about saying something wrong or saying something offensive or upsetting someone you're going to have pupils who are who, who do have a certain level of ignorance and are going to purposely say things to antagonize and to irritate and all of that going on is one conversation 
is a lot and you're only one person. So I think that openness and setting a minimum standard for everybody and reinforcing it so that people know that it's kind of like non-negotiable. And when we're in this space and we're having these discussions, this is the expectation I think is really important. Um, allowing them to lead some conversations. Again, we want to make sure we're mitigating, you know, anything harmful. We want to make sure we're mediating, but ultimately, it doesn't have to be our conversation. We can help them have a conversation. Again, I think as teachers, we often think like, okay, what do I need to say? What information do I need to impart? Like, what do they need to know leaving this room? Um, but sometimes it's okay if they leave, you know, with more questions than answers. You want them to have questions. You want them to, because that's important. That means they're curious. It means that they want to know more. It's when people are like, they think they know everything and, you know, they don't have any questions and they don't want to engage. We want to really inspire kind of like that curiosity um, and that interest and that engagement. So I think, yeah, definitely allowing them space, again, time constraints. But even if it's just a starter, for example, at the beginning of the beginning of the lesson and you think about, it can be something from the previous lesson, it can be something related to the lesson coming up. You let them have a conversation, you listen, you gauge how much they know. Maybe you turns out they know loads and the lesson is actually quite, you know, basic and you can maybe go a bit deeper and just having that, I think having that fluidity um, with discussions like this is really important because at that age as well, they're going to be very capable of having discussions. They are 100% having these discussions anyway. They are 100% talking about these things anyway, whether it's with their family and whether it's something that's been a part of their family discussions, whether it's with their friends, etc. it will be coming up. So trusting them, you know, to do that and having the ability to do that. Um, and I think looking, looking at the curriculum and making a plan, um, and thinking about what opportunities are we going to have this year coming up, which opportunities are really valuable, which opportunities can we absolutely not miss, and also ones that you may have not realised was an opportunity, you didn't realise it was relevant to the discussion, and you think actually if we approach this conversation in this way, that's going to give us a little bit more time on the topic, it's going to give us another perspective on the topic, um, and trying to do that with an additional person, one so it takes the load off, because anti-racism stuff in the curriculum can be very taxing. And I find that when you really are passionate about it and you get into it, it's going to swallow up so much time. You're going to find yourself on the internet digging deeper and deeper in holes and that, you know, you can really get into it. So having someone to share that load with and having someone to kind of like assess, talk over lessons um, after the fact, is there anything we need to do? Is there anything that we shouldn't do or anything that we missed? And having that collaborative effort, I think is so important because even when at work, when we make materials, I, when me and Michaela sit down and make materials together, we can get through it so much quicker because we're like, right, right, right. She, I miss something that she doesn't see and vice versa. Um, and I think it is, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a human thing, isn't it? Talking about race, it's, it's a very, it's very much about human connections and how we relate to each other. So I think in planning, that needs to be reflected in the planning and having someone um, to do it with and ask children for their, ask the pupils for their, what they would like to talk about and what their ideas are. Cause they're, 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 um, they're always full of ideas, always bursting. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Oh my gosh, again, so much in there. Like, definitely working with someone, you know, definitely working with someone. I think if you're one person department, um, you know, history teachers potentially reach out to them, the geographers. I'm not suggesting they're the only people, you know, drama does lots of work. Yeah. I know that, you know, there's lots of other departments within there. Um, again, giving the students time to reflect what you said and obviously, you know, yourself. Um, I think putting that ownership on the students as well and finding out what they already know, which is something you said, I think. Um, if we go in with an agenda, um, sometimes the students already know. And also, I think, like you said, is the idea of um, 
been aware of your cohort and saying like we're all going to be at different stages and that's okay sort mm -hmm. of normalizing that i think that gives those students that sort of oh okay i'm not yeah. it to be an expert i found it quite useful actually there's two things i personally found quite useful uh, there's a unit called culture identity and i think i really like teaching it because i feel that gives us the space and the time to really uh, there's lots of different identities to look at and ethnicity is one of them and it's not just brushed over it's it's quite a significant mm. amount of period of time we can really delve into the social construction of ethnic identity and we sort of look at race and nationality as part of that so it might be a case if you're really passionate about it it's worth looking at at different modules um that might be something that's yeah for some of those teachers um in addition to that with sort of looking at the race and ethnicity and nationality um I think you said about that as ritual activities are, are so important, you know, allowing that time outside lesson time as well to sort of continue that discussion into that debate. Um, I know that I found it quite useful to show students how it's moving by looking at census data and how we used to collect census data and how we're looking mm. at it today. And I found that really useful because I think it showed, it, it takes away, I suppose, not knowing it all because it, the government doesn't know it all as in the sense yeah. when they first recorded data mixed ethnicity for example uh, asian would be just i think it was just asian um back back in like the 1980s so i'm showing my age now uh and then more recently they started to collect more data uh, and be aware of different ethnic groups uh, and it's become more sophisticated and more uh, more comprehensive um mm. so i think it's sort of knowing that we are going to grow and i always say to them the next instance uh, collect, uh, data collection will be different again because people will have greater awareness and greater understanding um, and know that it, it moves forward all the time. But there's just so much in there. I think, you know, like I think you said, it's a big responsibility. It feels like sometimes it's a big responsibility for a sociology teacher because uh, I sometimes feel like you have to go, like yeah that, because it's very personal isn't it i feel like mm. there's certain subjects like 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 there's certain subjects that are just so personal and like you really do you just really do take it home with you and it's on your mind like you'll have a you'll have a pupil who will say like if a pupil gets a math question wrong right you know or they don't understand something to do with i don't know physics or something it's one thing but then when you're when your pupil says something and it makes you think about what is what is going on at home or like you know or or you worry about a pupil and their self-image like there's so many things that come come up in sociology that like transcend the lesson and transcend like just the actual subject in school um and it's just such a personal it's such a personal lesson um and i feel like people who are in stuff like particularly like so sociology if you're in it for the long haul it's because you really really care and you really really enjoy it so it can get very like emotional actually teaching teaching and talking about certain things with your with your pupils a lot of a lot of stuff comes up yeah definitely i know that i've taken i know that we i teach stuff or talk about stuff that's not going to be necessarily because i feel like there's a moral obligation like that we need to just mention it and then mm -hmm. i would say if you want to talk about it more come to the social Review society or you know do some further reading let me know the books you're reading like i think we we're just talking about the enlightenment in sociology and i was like you know how do we know that was the enlightenment are we suggesting that other you know, other cultures didn't have an enlightenment like period. Why do we not know about that um, in its sort of discovery? Why do we talk about Western 1800s, you know, as that period? Appreciate it's not going to be assessed in the exam, but it's, you know, like you said, there is an exam, we have to meet that, but making sure that the students are given the opportunity to say, well, if we want to discuss this more or we can explore research, mm. um, there's those enrichment activities out there. And sometimes students, I find that come in with stuff, um, uh, and and 
do research themselves and bring stuff in if you sort of create that environment as well that's so um, good yeah well i think i think we find this from a lot of our sort of uh, contributors that say exactly the same that the students go off and find stuff out or might be decide to do their epq on something that's not covered in 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 the sociology a level so thank you i could talk to you forever i think there's i know lots i in know there, um, <laughs> around sort of the role of sociology in particular in relationship to anti-racism thank you for your time um if you've got any sort of uh, i know that we're sort of going to came contact so if there are any sort of particular websites or books uh, i think you're if you can let me know and I can post it on the, the Facebook okay, page yeah. or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, but, you know, for teachers that want to know more about it, that'd be great. But thank no you problem. for your time and, and all the best with uh, your, your MA. Thank you for your yes, time. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm going to go and sort myself out, regather myself and get on with it. <laughs> get right, on with thank it. you so much. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. Take care. Have a great day. No problem. Bye. Bye. The Sociology Staff Room is brought to you by tutor to you Sociology. Find us at tutortoyou.net forward slash sociology or follow us on Twitter at tutortoyousoc or Instagram at tutortoyousoc. You can also join our very lively Facebook groups for sociology teachers. See you soon.